0: I'm Dr. Thomas Slavin, Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs for Myriad Oncology. Welcome to Inside the Genome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Dr. Vincent Chung. He's a medical oncologist at City of Hope who specializes in pancreatic cancer. City of Hope is my former institution, so I have a true love for it. Uh, it's the leading cancer center in the West, according to a U.S. News and World Report. Dr. Chung, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man doing the good work, seeing uh, the medical oncology patients at City of Hope. So today I just wanted to talk a little bit about your perspective of the coronavirus situation that we have uh, and how the effects of it have been on a major cancer center like City of Hope and your personal practice and particularly in regards to pancreatic oncology and cancer treatment. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience right now with your day-to-day and how it was pre-coronavirus and now how it is with everything going on?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, when COVID-19 really hit hard in the United States, um, it did, you know, affect our practices because we really need to actually social distance to try to, you know, prevent the spread. You know, even though City of Hope has the highest standards for, like, infection control, um, we still had to reevaluate our practices. I think the administration did an excellent job to early on, you know, try to implement safety measures to, you know, make sure that we're protecting our patients as well as our staff. So early on, you know, one of the things that they did was that they implemented uh, checkpoints where, patients as well as staff that would be coming into the hospital, they would get their temperatures checked, they would actually go through questionnaires, and wanted to try to screen out the people that may potentially have been exposed to COVID-19 or may actually have signs or symptoms so that we could actually keep them, you know, out of the hospital to protect, the again, the patients as well as the staff. They did an excellent job in terms of really implementing these safety measures to really decrease the risk of having COVID-19 uh, patients at City of Hope. I think that one of the first things that I noticed in my clinic was that we started to have a reduction in patient numbers, and part of it was because patients were afraid to come to a hospital. Uh, They felt that, you know, if they came to a hospital, they might be exposed to other people that have COVID-19, but in actuality, the hospital, at least our hospital was probably one of the safest places to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you know we had so many safeguards to really ensure that after we really educated the patients they felt a lot more comfortable in terms of coming into the clinic and You know, I'm dealing with pancreatic cancer patients, so pancreatic cancer, when they get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I mean, that cancer does not stop, and we don't stop either, so we need to actually get started with, um, you know, talking about treatment options and really uh, getting them started with their therapy to try to control their cancer. So many of my patients would, uh, you know, get started with therapy within a, you know, short period of time, and they would be coming regularly for their chemotherapy.
0: Yeah, and have you been using telemedicine?
1: We have. Even before the pandemic, City of Hope was already implementing uh, telemedicine. Um, It's just that with COVID-19, we really had to scale that up. Mm -hmm. And we really had to kind of distribute this across the enterprise where not only was it Doherty Main Campus, but it was also community practices incorporating telemedicine as part of their daily practice. So I think that it's really been good for the patients and many of them that were actually on follow-up or they didn't really need to come into the main campus. So they didn't have a chemotherapy appointment or any other infusion. They could be done by telemedicine and they could be in the comfort of their home uh, with their family. And I think that was actually a a really good thing to have that implemented enterprise wide.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how has your practice changed through all this? particularly, I mean, have you changed the way you're treating patients or staging uh, the treatment at all?
1: Not at all. I mean, in terms of the way we treat our patients, I mean, we treat our patients with the highest level of care. I mean, we actually follow all the guidelines and we make sure that, you know, they're getting the best care possible. So from the very start, patients that are coming to City of Hope, they're getting diagnosed, they're getting the necessary procedures, and we would Uh, begin their therapy no different than any other time before the pandemic. So I I think that as far as for newly diagnosed cases, they would actually get started with their therapy uh, just as fast as before the pandemic. Um, I think that, you know, where things actually kind kind of changed a little bit was that we sometimes would not have them come as often because if we could actually do this by telemedicine, uh, we could actually call, follow up with them on the phone or actually by mm-hmm. televideo and kind of assess how they're doing with some of the toxicity. So uh, sometimes we wouldn't necessarily have to have them come back like a week later. We could actually wait till they come back for their next chemotherapy infusion. Yeah. So we definitely try to make sure that we coordinated their appointment to see us with their chemotherapy infusion so they wouldn't be coming to the hospital so often.
0: Yeah. Do you know that the infusion centers have changed their practice?
1: I think the biggest part is really the social distancing. The good thing for us is that we do have a lot of private rooms in our infusion center. Uh, We do have some chairs which are socially distanced, but Mm -hmm. uh, we need to make sure that uh, we actually have that space between uh, patients so that we can actually minimize uh, contact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously a lot going on with the the virus right now, but just switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, pancreatic cancer treatment, we're very interested in how people are applying cancer genetics into current care. And, uh, you know, you've always been at the forefront in my mind of doing this for pancreatic cancer. What kind of exciting new treatments or molecular testing options are you applying in your practice uh, that are really cutting edge? Yeah, so
1: molecular testing has really come a long way for pancreatic cancer. And what was great is that last year, around April of 2019, um, we were able to get on the uh, NCCN guidelines the recommendations that all patients with pancreatic cancer should get genetic testing. Um, And I think that's really important because uh, there are patients out there that don't necessarily have that early family history of cancer, um, but they're still getting diagnosed with, for instance, BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutations, even when they're they're older and they have pancreatic cancer. So there are people out there that were probably not diagnosed in the past, but right now, because we are screening everyone, uh, we are picking up those cases. The second thing that came on the NCCN guidelines was that we added uh, somatic mutation testing for patients with advanced disease. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important because the work that the Know Your Tumor program did in terms of actually sequencing uh, patients looking for these uh, actual mutations. And that was a collaboration between PanCan as well as Prothera. Um, they did a, a great job in terms of really highlighting those patients that may be able to benefit from targeted therapies. And I think we're seeing that evolve over time that there are these patients that have these highly actual mutations that we can actually utilize targeted therapies for. And last year at ASCO, Dr. Kindler presented the POLO trial, which I think was very pivotal um, Mm -hmm. because the POLO trial, which is actually looking at germline BRCA1, uh, BRCA2 uh, mutated patients, they were receiving platinum-based chemotherapy initially for the treatment of their metastatic disease. After at least four months of treatment, if they had stable disease, they then stopped their therapy, and they were uh, randomized at that time to either Elaparib Or placebo. And what that trial showed was that the patients that actually received a laparative therapy, and of course they had the uh, germline BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, they had a doubling of their progression free survival. So that actually showed that a PARP inhibitor. Uh, could actually slow down the growth of the cancer. And this has a tremendous impact on patients with a metastatic disease because mm-hmm. when you're dealing with a patient with metastatic disease, you want to try to control the cancer as long as possible. And cytotoxic chemotherapy was the mainstay of treatment. However, that's associated with a lot of toxicities. laparib, basically, as far as the toxicity goes, the toxicity profile is mainly uh, more fatigue, gastrointestinal side effects, cytopenias. So if you're able to monitor them closely and watch their blood counts and uh, really manage these more milder side effects, patients can have a good quality of life with good control of their disease.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beyond PARP inhibitors, what other targeted therapies are really making a splash in pancreatic cancer right now? Yeah, so
1: microsatellite instable pancreatic cancer, which is, again, a very small subset of pancreatic cancer patients, checkpoint inhibitors are actually approved uh, Mm -hmm. for this small subset population. And these patients do have very good responses. Also, for instance, antrac fusions, um, again, a very small population of pancreatic cancer uh, patients, but there are drugs like larotrectinib that's approved for antrac fusions. So mm-hmm. there are these very highly actual mutations. And I think it's really important to be looking for the potential treatment options.
0: What are you working on currently in your research?
1: Yeah, so good question. One of the things that I thought was very compelling and interesting is that, you know, from the POLO trial, we saw that there was a doubling of progression-free survival. I think that even though this is impressive, we have room to grow. And one of the areas of research that I was actually looking into was that in these tumors that actually have this defect in DNA damage repair, there probably are increased mutations within these tumors that may make it more susceptible to the immune system. We actually did some preclinical studies looking at combination of PARP inhibitors with checkpoint inhibitors in a mouse model, and we actually showed a synergistic activity of the two together. So coming up, hopefully this fall, um, I do have a clinical trial, and I'll be co-chairing this with uh, Mike Pishvayan mm-hmm. at uh, Johns Hopkins University. This is going to be a randomized phase two clinical trial looking at germline BRCA1, BRCA2 mutated pancreatic cancer patients that are receiving first-line chemotherapy with a platinum-based treatment. After four months of treatment, if they have stable disease, they'll get randomized to a laparib plus pembrolizumab versus Mm -hmm. a laparib alone. So this is going to be done in SWOG as well as Alliance, and I think this is a really exciting trial.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you are, you're leading the way in targeted therapies. I just want to say this was a great pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. City of Hope is a fantastic institution. And again, it will always have a spot in my heart. I really uh, enjoyed working there for all those years and being in the same department with you. Thank you again for coming on the podcast and always a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Enjoyed it.